you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. just for a moment just invite his presence and his power to meet with us in this room right now God we need your glory and your power we need your presence God hallelujah 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 2 Timothy chapter 3 you can be seated tonight thank you for being here on this Wednesday night Last week we began in a series of how the end time church will face the future and I spent a great deal of time last week on the first lesson and tonight we will endeavor to move into lesson two of how the end time church will face the future. Tonight I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse number one, just as a springboard into what we're going to be talking about tonight as a scriptural reference and an anchor point for this lesson series, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number one, this know also that in the last days, everybody say last days, perilous times shall come, perilous times shall come. Last week we began talking about how the end time church will face the future. And of course we we covered a few things and I don't want to spend a lot of time recapping. I will cover this second lesson. Um, There is at least one more, perhaps two more lessons that I intend to cover on this subject. So um, when we get to the stopping point tonight, I will let you out, send you home, because I understand that kids and grandkids are all back in school, and some are rejoicing and others are not really rejoicing. Uh, but everybody's getting used to a new schedule, and so I will try to let you uh, let you out in time to be able to get your uh, family home at a decent hour, and um, and so. Uh, I will be cognitive tonight, and uh, we'll go just as long as it takes and let you get out of here tonight. It goes without saying that we are living in perilous times. These are very perilous times. Um, Sometimes I realize that I have lived long enough to not even recognize the world in which 
we live if I compare it to my childhood. In 55 years, I have watched the world change. Um, A few weeks ago, I was invited by Brother Lee Stevens, who pastors in Delphi. He was working with a family or with a, a few families in Florida, and they had asked him to come for a space of time and be an interim pastor in a little denominational church in Florida. And, of course, he was going in preaching and teaching to, to this small group of people. He was very excited. And he invited me to come up and view the church building, which was built in the late 1800s. And uh, some, some neat things about the old building. We walked through the, the leaded um, stained glass windows and uh, some real neat and cool features about the old building. The floor was built on a slope, and uh, I'm not real sure how they arrived at the slope. It didn't really look like there was too much math used because it didn't slope necessarily at any specific given slope. It just kind of meandered along and waved and ended up at a specific point. If you poured water uh, at, at the back wall, it, it might look like a river flowing down to get to the front. And Brother Stevens's young sons, his children were there. And uh, we walked downstairs, and when we got downstairs, I looked on the wall, and there on the wall was a dial telephone hanging on the wall. And it had the long cord and everything, like you could walk like six or eight feet away from the the phone with that long cord. I mean, I remember the short cord that was hardwired in before they had the little clip buttons that you could change. I remember when we moved uptown and got away from the rotary dial phone and went to the push button phone. I saw the phone hanging there and I stopped for a moment and Brother Stevens was so happy about everything God was doing and his kids were in there and And I didn't want to make fun, but I was just caught for a moment with this rotary dial phone on the wall. And so I was trying to think how I could ask about it without sounding like, pardon me, without sounding like I was making light. And so I thought for a moment how to ask the question. And I walked over and I said, does this thing work? And with that, the kids just erupted with, yes, 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 it works. Please call, please call. And I said, what's the number? And they gave me the number and I dialed it and it rang. And the kids all had, they wanted to talk to me. I'm standing in the same room with them. But they all wanted to talk, and I hadn't, I hadn't talked on one of those phones for a long time. I said, no, let's, let's trade places now. You, you use the cell phone and let me talk because I remember talking on those phones. And, and whispered when I talked at night so my parents didn't hear me up and on the phone. 
I started talking to them about party lines. They didn't. They, they, they were looking at me. And that's how old I am on party line culture. And I got on that phone, and that thing was so static. I don't remember that. I thought it was clear. I don't know if it was just that phone, but the thing had so much static on it when they're talking. I'm, I'm like, my goodness, did we really, is this really the way it was? It sounded like that you went back about 50 years in time. It was all static. The world is changing. Everywhere you look, the world is changing, but not just there. Ethically, morally, and religiously, the world is quickly and rapidly changing. The things that our children face every day is so far, so far beyond anything that we would have ever faced. My dad, of course, is 89 years old, and he, pa- he was a pastor when I was born. So we we are uh, we are about three and a half generations apart in all reality. And my dad's style of pastoring and his way of pastoring, he does not understand my style or my way of pastoring. And sometimes we start talking and he will he will give me some great wisdom. And then sometimes I will just throw a curveball by asking a question about something I've dealt with in the last month. And dad will just pause for a moment and he will say, never would have dreamed that I would live to see those kind of things a reality in our lives. This is the world in which we live. And as we watch the world move more and more rapidly into the future, as we face the end time, the church also is in a quandary because as the doctrine never changes, yet we must remain true to doctrine, but we also must remain connected and relevant enough in the world that we are not disconnected and removed from the world. See, holiness was never intended to isolate us from the world. Holiness was intended to insulate us from the world. We are in the world but we are not of the world. This is what we have to understand. Our separation and God's call to his church in the end time to come out from among them does not literally mean isolate ourselves from anything that is in the world. Come out from among them. Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this is the difference between being in love with the world and chasing after the ideals of the end time world, but yet being part of the bride of Christ, not falling in love with the things of the world, not following the trends of the world, not getting caught up in the world. 
we could take you all through the scripture where Ezekiel said that he was he was among them but he was not of them this is the whole idea that is all through scripture as the people of God as end time Christians we must understand we live in this world we work in this world I'm not here to have any kind of debate on whether or not your students attend Christian school or secular school. But I will tell you this. What the kids today face make what I faced when I was in school look like a cakewalk. Younger and younger and younger, perversion is being pushed. Drugs and alcohol and parties that are just so easy for them at the very at the very tip of their fingers things that are being taught in school that we would never think about in our christian christian homes are being taught in the schools we are living in a perverse generation this is a perilous time in which we live and as a church we must be very careful that we don't say hey I'm I'm isolating my kids from the world. We have to teach them Bible doctrine, teach them the right answer. I was talking to one of our parents the other day, and they were speaking of their student and made a statement that their student said, I do this or don't do this because it's my religion. And the parent mentioned to me and said, I told them, no, no, no. It is not about religion. It is what the Bible says and because I believe the Bible. Don't make it a fact if it's against my religion. We're talking about how to deal with an end time world. How, how are we going to deal with this? If, if, if you haven't, you need to be well versed in this word of God. Can I tell you? That all the announcements tonight about all of the Bible studies and teaching the teacher and the path of life and all of these things, this is not just for somebody that doesn't know anything about the Bible. These are opportunities for every one of us to grow. If you've been living for God a long time and feel like the teaching that you receive may even seem elementary sometime, then you may be ready to become one of the teachers. That's why you would be part of Teach the Teacher, and you would would become a Bible study teacher so that we can reproduce ourselves. I'm talking about the end times. COVID, if it taught us anything, it taught us how quickly the world can shut down. matter of about seven days, the world went from mash the gas pedal to the floor wide open to a screeching halt in the matter of just about four or five to seven days. And 21 days or 14 days to flatten the curve became about three years of massive control across the country. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I am going to tell you that a lot of things that we heard was told and that were demanded of us are now being told that was all wrong. 
but the entire world conformed in a moment. This past week, I saw a news article of a woman somewhere in California, I believe it was, as she went through the grocery line and a scanner that was scanning all the groceries at the end worker was standing behind and she had this look on her face as she took her hand and placed her hand over the screen. Anybody else see that? Placed her hand over the screen and she rejoiced with excitement because she said, that's the first time I've ever paid a bill of groceries with my handprint. And they rejoiced. I didn't come to scare you. I didn't come to frighten you. I just came to remind you where we are. These are the end time and this is perilous times. Now we've got to decide what we're going to spend our energy, our time, and our effort on. The Lord has been dealing with me about what we are spending and wasting our time, our energies, and our efforts on. Listen, I have reached a point in the church that if it is not effective in reaching the lost, then I am questioning why in the world am I even doing it. If it is not magnifying the name of Jesus, if it is not building up the church and the kingdom of God, then I don't have time. Because the days are short and we just have a little time left. And the days are evil. These are perilous, perilous times. Many have said it and I I believe it bears repeating The world that the church is facing is hostile to Christianity. If you don't think it is, just just mention it in a place or two. I think that the church church is is facing a very hostile world. Christianity in general is facing a very hostile world. And it will become more and increasingly more hostile toward Christianity as the days approach. Because if I read the Bible... What you and I may think are really, really terrible is only the beginning. I waited so I could calm down and cool off a little bit about this issue. A few weeks ago, I was painting my home when I received a phone call and was demanded that I stop painting my home because my home is in a historical district. Now, it's a historical district that I didn't personally sign up for, ask to be part of, did not exist when I bought my home 27, 28 years ago. I just received a call and told, you got to stop painting your house. And when I said, why? They said, because you didn't get permission to paint your house. I said, you must be kidding me. They said, furthermore, the color that you painted your house is not in the color palette that a committee has chosen And so you are in violation of the code and will have to paint your house a different color. Incredible. I thought, wait a second. You've got to be kidding me. This isn't real. This isn't real. Over the next 48 hours with absolute chaos, that included a two and a half hour visit 
to my home by one of the five board members that came and asked all sorts of personal questions regarding details of my plans into the future regarding my home. I was appalled as I stood there answering questions annoyed, very annoyed, annoyed enough that this probably showed up, but I was trying to put the love of Jesus in front of this, and it was difficult. Finally, looking on my front porch, due to a random ambulance ride that I had to take some time ago, when the EMT showed, they grabbed my front door, pulled it back really hard against large lights that are next to my front door, and it broke one of the lighting fixtures, to which I was told that I could not replace the lighting fixture because I have to come before a committee and they will tell me what type lighting fixture I can put on my home. Welcome to the Christian world this morning. Amen. And then I realized, as I read through all the paperwork, I read through the names that they were taking their direction from, and it said, in the turn of the century when Frankfurt was developed, there wasn't a lot of light in Frankfurt. But following the pattern in which we have over the next few years, by 2035, Frankfurt could once again become a dark city. Now, I've never made it come to my house, I actually had people in the church call me one time and say, is there any light on there? And recommended that I change my lights to something dimmer because I'm sure my light bill was probably really high because every time they drive by, every light in my house was out. Thank you very much. I live in a glass house. I pay my electric bill. I don't like the dark. Turn the lights on. I go to conferences and camps and all this, and they dim the lights down. I don't like it. I like light. Turn the lights on. If I come to your house, please turn your lights up. I like it bright. So my mind's spinning. And I looked at the nice lady. <coughs> nice lady. And I said to her, Do you understand that your committee that I didn't vote for, didn't sign up for, absolutely was imposed upon me, can now tell me what kind of light fixture I can put on my house? I said, in 10 years. Are you going to tell me that at the turn of the century that the homes in my neighborhood 
probably went to bed about dark. And all porch lights would have been out by 10 p.m. And so now a new ordinance is going to pass that I have to turn my porch light out and be indoors by 10 p.m. And she laughed and she said, oh, you're being silly. And I said, no, your manual says that there is a plan within the next 11 years for our city to become a dark city. What does that mean? And she said, it does? Where does it say that? And I said, it's your manual. It's only 30 pages long. I'm not sure what page is it on, but I've read the whole thing three times. She said, you're being silly. I said, you know what? That's what I would have said about myself. Six or eight years ago, if somebody, if I would have told somebody in 2023, I'm going to get a cis and deceased letter stating you can't paint your house without getting permission from somebody, and when you paint it, somebody else will choose what color that you can paint the house that you've paid for and live in. I'm trying to point something out to you. This is what's happening in our world. More and more control mechanisms. Every step from free speech I never intended to get here tonight, but I came to talk to you about what the church is up against. The church is up against, and what has happened is the church about 30 years ago, decided we're going to be less and less verbal, and we now have a lot of very conservative, strong apostolics that are afraid to open their mouth and declare, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Because we're afraid that there may be somebody hate on us. We're afraid to stand up for righteousness and godliness. Listen, I'm talking about how the church is going to face this end time. You don't have to be rude. As a matter of fact, I'll preach against you being rude. You shouldn't be rude. You don't have to be hateful. But you do have a right to stand firm on the word of God and declare, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because the day is going to come when you and I are going to have to decide where we do stand. If the Lord tarries and if we live, we are going to have to decide where we stand and where we draw the line. This is the end time church. I do believe that people that I am talking to and preaching to tonight are going to see the coming of the Lord. But between here and there, there is going to be, I talked about it last week. Last week I spent a great deal of time talking about the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist, which is already at work in the church. That was what he said 2,000 years ago. Now, if you think the spirit of Antichrist is not loose in the church, it is everywhere. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if there is ever a time we need to put 
out the little foxes. We need to snuff out the small things. We need to stand strong. Oh, don't try to find how close to the line and how close to the edge we can walk. You better get in the center of God's will, in the center of the church. These are perilous Last week we talked about two contradicting events that are going to occur in the end times. First, there's going to be an end time revival. And at the same time, there is going to be a great falling away. Falling away from truth and a falling away from a genuine love of the things of God. I don't believe it's going to be one and then the other. They're going to happen simultaneous and I believe we're seeing it. There is a great harvest of souls. People are being filled with the Holy Ghost in record numbers. People, great revival is happening. I believe we're going to experience that over the next several months. We're going to see a great outpouring of revival. I've talked about what we're doing. I've talked about our plan. We're going to have strategic. We're going to be having short revivals, weekend revivals, Wednesday night revivals, and we're going to be doing evangelism and build up to some a great, great move that is going to happen toward the end of 24. And then our discipleship is going to be is going to be uh, second to none, and we're going to reach like we never have to try to disciple and grow and develop people. So we understand what lies ahead of us, but in the middle of this, if we're not careful, people that have lived for God for a long time are going to say, well, I don't think it takes all of that, and there is going to be a falling away from truth. It's already happening. And so that's why as a church, we've got to understand the time and recognize we must be closer to God than we have ever been. Paul didn't say that men wouldn't love God, but he said they would love pleasure more than they love God. Can the church say amen? Are we living in that day where the church loves pleasure more than they love God? Then last week we concluded with talking about the opposite of Antichrist, which is that of submission to the will of God. And by submission to the will of God means the submission to God's plan, submission to God's authority, submission to God's to, to, to apostolic doctrine, submission to apostolic authority. And so submission is at the core. It is the opposite of of antichrist because the only way the only way everything about christianity is is caught into submission discipleship is is in, at its core it is submission to the teaching of god and of the word of god second corinthians chapter 10 verse number 3 for though we walk in the flesh we do not war after the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are what are those weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds? Prayer, fasting, submission to the Word of God. Everything that is apostolic is connected to the weapons of warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds.
And then verse 5 tells us what we have to do. This is the battle of the flesh between our ears. We talked a lot about that last week. Casting down imaginations. The crazy thoughts of our minds. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What, what is that? That's the spirit of Antichrist, right? We proved that last week. That the thoughts of our mind can become, the, the spirit of Antichrist can trigger the imaginations and thoughts of our mind. We cast down imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's called submission. We bring it into obedience. The fall of Lucifer that caused him to be cast out of heaven was over submission to authority. Watch, watch. Let this settle with you just for a moment. You're not going to run the aisles on this, but I want you to catch this. The very thing that called Lucifer to fall in the beginning, Satan to fall from the beginning, the fall of Satan prior to the fall in the garden. I'm not talking about, don't confuse that, with the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm talking about when, when, when Lucifer was cast out of heaven. It was over submission to authority. Now watch, because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be equal to God. That has always been the deception that Satan uses against the thoughts and the minds of mankind. Watch this. That was how Lucifer fell in the beginning, the first fall. The second fall was the fall in the garden when Adam and Eve fell. The fall in the garden was by eating the tree in the midst of the garden because if you eat of the tree, it will make you equal with God and make you like God. What was the first fall over? Being equal with God and like God. Do you see you see where it's at now? Now watch, watch. The battle in our minds is always about submission because we don't want to be submitted. We want to be equal not running the aisles with me right now. The problem is I don't really care what the Bible says. I don't really care what the preacher says. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter what the Bible teaches. It doesn't. Not for my little Johnny or my little Susie. Because I think equal to who? Equal to who? That's the spirit of Antichrist that works in our mind. We've got to bring down every high thought into captivity and say it doesn't matter how it feels to me or what I think in my mind. I must fall into submission to the Word of God. Oh, I thought you would run the aisles with me. It's all about being equal to 
equal to the mind and the plan of God. This has been the vice of Israel from the beginning. Desiring to be like God or equal to God. So God derives a plan. He lays it out in his word. He gives us apostolic authority. He tells us how the church operates. He tells us how the home operates. He tells us, he tells us who is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And he creates apostolic authority. And then he talks about the home. And he said Christ is the head of the church. Man is the head of, of the home. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to get nervous about that. But the world's made you think you've got to be nervous about that. This is what I'm talking about. This is the programming that the world has put in. Christ is the head of the church, but man is the head of the home. We have a responsibility, men. We have a responsibility to be the Lord told Israel I have made you a kingdom of priests they understood the royalty of priesthood they understood all of that but they failed to understand the translation of how the priesthood worked in the great order of religiosity, but the Lord is trying to tell them, look, I've made every one of you a priest. I have made you a kingdom of priests. That is what he did in the church, telling every head of household, you have a responsibility. Just like the priest did to serve in the tabernacle, you have a responsibility, mom and dad, to be the head of your home and to establish godly principles in your home. This principle is emphatically taught all throughout the Bible. The vice of man was desiring to be like God or equal to God, to have a, to have a different view than the Word of God, and to try to find a way or a path around it, and to say, well, it doesn't really matter what, what God says, what the Bible says, what the church teaches, what none of those things matter. If it is God's plan, it does matter. Submission has been God's plan from the beginning. And what the Lord teaches us is that submission is the key to exaltation. The very thing we're looking for comes through submission. But people who struggle with submission want to be exalted, but they never get what they want, so they live offended. Nobody going to help me with this one. We live offended because we want to be exalted, but the Lord said when you get humility right, you're not going to have to seek or demand exaltation. It's just going to show up because when submission is right, exaltation automatically happens. If God be for us, who can be against us? So when we get submission right,
happens all through the scripture. Here's what he says. He says, fall on the stone and be broken. Or, well, that sounds painful. I don't think I want to fall on the stone. This is what he says to the New Testament church. Fall on the stone and be broken. And people are like, well, I'm going to resist that. I'm going to try to find another path. He said, okay, fall on the stone and be broken. Or the same verse says, or the stone will fall upon you and you will be, anybody anybody with me in the word of God? You will be ground to powder. That's not my words. That's the KJV. Fall on the stone, submission. And submission's going to break you. But if you don't fall on the stone and let the stone break you, who was the stone? Jesus was a stone that was hewn out of the mountain. He was a stone hewn out without hands. He's talking about Christ. He's the head of the church. You either are going to fall on Christ and it's going to break you. Either you're going to be broken by the things of the Lord. Either you're going to let the word of God break you and break down your humanity and all of your self-righteousness and your self-will. Either you're going to fall on the stone and there's going to be some pain. It's going to break you. But if you don't, the stone is going to fall on you and it's going to grind you to powder. That doesn't sound pleasant. Let's go to another passage. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Okay, I got to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I'm not sure I want to do that, Pastor. Do you want exhortation? Because if you humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, He, not the pastor, not the church, not family, He will Exalt you in due time. What we want is exaltation. What we despise is the breaking. We despise submission, but the Bible is full. I could stay here all night and talk about this because over and over in Scripture, the text will point us to one thing. Humble yourself. Fall upon the stone. It's over and over again. Submit yourself, therefore, unto the Lord. I could stay here all night in the scripture and talk about humbling ourselves. And if we do, he says, I will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, Proverbs says, a fool. the difference between Saul and David. We've been talking about it a little bit. I preached on it a little bit. And then Brother Isaiah Gonzalez talked about it again. You know you know what the issue is? It was called pride. The difference between Saul and David, David had humility. Saul struggled with humility. That's why Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. They were both anointed of God. They were both anointed for a season. They both led differently. They both were God's man. They were actually both God's man at the same identical time. But God had different seasons for them, and he held David back to try to give Saul a chance. In the end, we all want to be a David. Nobody in here wants to be a Saul. Everybody wants to be David. Why? Because David killed his ten thousands. David is a man after God's own heart. 
it really all comes down to one thing. If you look through, you never find Saul at points of humility. You find him at points of brokenness, but you don't find him at points of humility. Even in his brokenness, David shows humility. He could have taken, he could have taken Saul's life, but he never did. He chose not to. Because over and over again, he showed himself humble. The only way that you're going to ever find exaltation is to find submission. And when you humble yourself, then God will exalt you. Would you humble yourself? Sometimes there's one little thing that keeping us from doing big things in the kingdom. And that one thing may be that we are not humbling ourselves I've got to move. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. One, of the, one biblical teaching regarding spiritual leadership. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Doesn't say because they're perfect, but because of their work. And then it says, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, a lot of preachers like to be self-serving, and I struggle sometimes to even bring up such scriptures unless I'm preaching out of another church somewhere because it looks like I'm standing before you tonight telling you, oh, what you need to do is esteem your pastor very highly. The Bible actually says that. It says, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. But then there's more. It's the same verse. And be at peace among yourselves. Listen, we're talking about how the church, the end time church is going to face the future. We cannot face the future divided. Unity, watch. Unity is based on trust. We can get up here and try to hammer unity and talk about unity. We, you'll never have unity unless you have trust. Trust is a prerequisite to unity. So when we get trust right, unity is going to be a byproduct. Unity is going to follow trust. And this is where I am now, and this is where I've gotten to. I've had people say, well, I don't know. I don't know. Listen, if you don't know me, if you're new around here and don't know me, give me a chance. If you don't know this leadership team, give me a chance. Because there are a lot of really great people in this church. Some people that are trustworthy. Give, give a chance. And you're going to find trustworthiness. Not people that are out to get you, take advantage of you, hurt you. Now let me go a little further. If you've been in the church a long time and you just don't know whether or not you can trust, I love every one of you and don't want to leave anybody. But if you cannot trust your pastor, I will sign you a letter for you to go somewhere else because you need to sit under a pastor that you can trust. That's bold of me. It's bold. I love every one of you. I'm not dealing with a problem tonight. Understand that, all right? I'm teaching. I, 
we're talking about how we're going to face the end time. You cannot allow offense to come and get a burr in your saddle against your brother, against leadership, against authority. You cannot afford it, not in the end time. And if it gets, if that thorn gets in the church and this this causes a schism and this rises up against this and this one against that one, this is what we are dealing with in the end time. We must be unified in trust. We may have differences, but one thing I know, you are my brother and my sister, and when we walk away from our, from our discussion of differences, we love one another and will not hurt each other. I wish I had more time to spend here. But we need a covenant between each other. I'm not just talking about pastor to, to sing here. I'm talking about between each other. We need to covenant with one another that even when we don't see eye to eye, even when there is a hurt or an offense, because Paul says offenses will come. And when these offenses come, we need to have a covenant with each other. Imagine how unhealthy a relationship is between a husband and wife if every time there is a disagreement, I've got to worry at whether or not my wife is going to run out the door and leave me. Well, we're, we're not getting along right now because we had a disagreement on what color the house should be. Just because we have a disagreement doesn't mean we're going to talk about divorce. Doesn't mean one's going to leave. Because we have a covenant that the covenant is greater than the disagreement. Oh, I'm trying to help somebody tonight. Am I okay? Am I in a safe room tonight? I'll, I'll close it up and go home. But what I'm trying to tell you is as a pastor, as leadership in this church, as our pastoral team, as our leadership team, if we are constantly worried about, well, I don't know, if, if it doesn't go their way, they may want to go to a church across town. They may want to go to a church in another city. They may want to, listen, we can't live under that in these end times. We've got to have a covenant between one another that you're my brother and you're my sister. And when we don't see eye to eye, we will discuss the differences. But then we're going to get together, pray together, go out to dinner together, and we're going to keep working in the kingdom together. We didn't agree over it, but you're still my brother. I'm not going to hurt you over it. The only way the church is going to make it in the end time is if we get what I'm preaching to you tonight. Listen, this may be one of the most important messages that I have brought to this church because it is so important of how the church is going to go forward because we will become divided if we're not careful. Oh, you don't think so? You should have been the pastor when you had to answer the question, are you vaccinated? Because if you're vaccinated, you probably took the mark of the beast. While somebody else walks up five minutes later and says, are you vaccinated? Because if you're not vaccinated, you don't care about people being the pastor of this church. And I just don't know if I can sit under somebody that would just not care about people. What do you do? What do you do? 
get so caught up in things in this world. You're right. I shared with you something a little while ago. Council decided to let me go ahead and paint my house, let me go ahead and do what I wanted to do, but not under a, until it reached the point of a lot of duress to get there. Meaning I had to be willing to get an attorney or anything I needed to do to be able to pay that. You didn't have to do that kind of battle. And so I painted my house. I had to be proactive. Listen, in these last days, we're going to have to be proactive. If, there, if you have differences with somebody in the church, you need to be proactive about saying, you know what, if they're a problem, let's fix that problem. Let's bring that problem. Let's, let's work on that problem. I had a brother come to me the other night and say, Pastor, is everything okay between us? And I said, my goodness, I don't know how anybody could not love the gentleman. And my goodness, there's, there's nothing wrong. This past week, I got a text message a couple days ago from somebody. Pastor, is everything okay between you and me? I said, what in the world? Yes, everything is wonderful. He said, well, I just noticed, I just noticed, you know, I, I just, I just was, I was feeling your, your spirit. This, I, I just didn't know. I just, 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 I said, if you're needing confirmation, yes, everything is fine between us. Yes, I love you. No, I'm not against you. No, I don't have anything against you. Listen, we can't live all the time on edge. We need to covenant with one another to say, look, you're my brother and my sister. I love you, and you don't have to walk out of here and question because I didn't wear a tie tonight that I'm backsliding or I do wear a tie that I'm that I'm more righteous and more holy than everybody else. Listen, we've got to get on the same page and understand this is the end time. Souls need saved. Our family needs saved. We've got to reach the world and let pettiness be what it is. Put it behind us and walk in wholeness. Walk in truth. My Lord, these are the last days. I will not go beyond 8.30. I thought I would let you out earlier. What about those, Pastor, that are quarrelsome? Quarrelsome with leadership, quarrelsome with brothers and sisters. The question is so often asked, how do they get by? You ever heard somebody say that? I'd be afraid to do that. I'd be afraid God's going to strike me dead. You ever said that? You ever heard somebody say that? I'd be afraid somebody's going to strike me. God's going to strike me dead. Why doesn't God judge them? Somebody real quick that can read real loud and strong. Grab 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. I want you to read this real bold, real loud. Somebody that's got it. 2 Peter chapter 2. Somebody got it? The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Now, watch this. Hold it. Why doesn't God strike them dead? God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. But he also knows how to reserve the who? The unjust until when? Until the day of judgment shall come. That's why, because the same God that knows how to deliver the righteous and deliver the just is the same God 
that knows how to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment. So you know what? We both ought to thank God because I need to thank God that he is reserving the unjust until the day of judgment. Why in the world is God doing that? Because he has given us a space to repent. Because if it would be so, there's been moments in my life that if God took me, I wouldn't have been ready because my spirit wasn't right. But he has reserved that moment to give me a space to repent, to to get things right, to get my spirit right, to do right. There must be a space to repent. Because the same God that reserves the righteous and preserves them is the same God that reserves judgment on the What else does the Bible teach about this spirit of antichrist that is loosed in the church? 1 John chapter 4. Read that for me, Gentry. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 3. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 3. And and a few of the spirits and every spirit That confesses not Jesus Christ. That means puts him as Lord. That means tries not to be equal with him, but is submitted and put under subjection. Every spirit that confesses not, that tries to be equal with him. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ, go ahead. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And here it is. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Every spirit that exalts itself and tries to be equal with God is Antichrist. Go ahead. heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. I've got to stop. I've got about four minutes left. I've got to stop here. But the Bible also teaches what we must be. And if you're a note taker, you've got to study this at home because I don't have time to wrap this up the way it needs to. First Peter chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10, this is what it talks about the end time church. This is what it tells us about the bride of Christ. This is who we must be. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9 and 10. Can you read it for me real loud? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2. generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Oh, I don't want to be peculiar. You are if you're the bride of Christ. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who 
this marvelous light, which at times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. One last scripture and we're going home. Galatians chapter 5. This is what the end time church must work to develop into our life. This is what will, this is the antidote for the spirit of Antichrist that wants to work between our ears and in our mind. This is the spirit that we must work to manifest. Galatians chapter 5, begin with verse number 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, read now. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's it right there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. crucified the flesh, fell on the stone, humbled ourselves. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also And we can only do it by the fruit of the Spirit being made manifest like never before. Love one another. Care for one another. Be the brother and sister that they need. Be strength to them. Speak positive about them. Let trust be developed. and grow. It doesn't matter. Well, we've got a lifetime of history here, Pastor. Bury the hatchet. Put it away. Make it right. Because we're living in the end times. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the Son of God be? But God above. Stand with me all over the room. Lift your hands toward heaven right now. And just ask the Lord to help us be what we have talked about tonight, to develop in our life. Lord, help us, O oh God, to be what you've called us to be. Help us, O oh God, to walk in the way that you have called us to walk. Let the fruit of the Spirit be made manifest in our lives. Let humility grow in us. Let us be submitted to your plan and your will. Let us be our brother's keeper. Let love abide.